You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy. Hello, my name is Nancy Alvarez, president of the American Pharmacist Association. Today, we're excited to have Jake Nichols, owner and CEO of Strategic Recovery Resources. Welcome, Jake. Good morning. I want to start by giving you the opportunity to frame your story for our listeners. So how did you start in this particular area? Sure. Well, I found myself working in addiction medicine um, in a very unplanned fashion. Uh, I found myself in treatment back in April of 2010 for a 15-year history of drug use. Um, That really started when I was in pharmacy school. There was a very uh, long and extensive history of uh, substance use disorders as well as behavioral health issues in my family. So I was uh, genetically wired um, to uh, potentially go down that road. And unfortunately, after some experimentation, my freshman year um, with Adderall and Ritalin to, to help me study, um, which we know still goes on in colleges across the country, it really just started this path of destruction uh, that would, over the next 15 years, uh, destroy my finances, relationships, including my marriage, and culminating with having to surrender my pharmacy license, enter treatment, and go through the court system um, and face a variety of different felony charges all related to me diverting drugs over the years. And so during the treatment and recovery, what helped you to stay the course? Recovery is a gift, not to use a cliche, and and the key to getting long-term recovery is your support network. Um, I was very blessed to have a lot of support from family and friends. The medical community, the folks that work in addiction medicine for the most part are are very selfless, caring, and empathetic individuals. But it wasn't that easy for me to find care. Uh, People think just because I was a pharmacist and I I worked in medicine that, you know, I would know exactly where to go to find treatment, and that certainly wasn't the case. So, you know, I, I entered detox, and I spent about a week there. I entered an intensive outpatient program after that. And then the real benefit for me, I think, the strongest benefit in, in getting on the road to recovery was a structured five-year treatment program that was administered through the state of Massachusetts, specifically for pharmacists. And uh, for a period of five years, I had to attend at least four 12-step meetings find a professional support group meeting once a week. For two years, I had to see a substance abuse counselor, and every day I had to call into a number where I was randomly selected for urine drug screens. So that structure and accountability really got me on the road to recovery. What keeps me there is uh, working in the fields, working with others and in families that are struggling with this horrible disease that, as we know, is affecting so many uh, across this country. And um, I have a great relationship with my my children. I have two boys, eight and five. And again, I still have that strong support network. It is not just something that you need at the beginning to achieve recovery, um, but it's something you definitely need longer term as well. And so do you feel that the services that you've been able to access are readily available for everyone? The services, 
are there. Yes, they're just not difficult to find, as I alluded to before. What I've also found in my travels and working in addiction medicine over the past seven years is that we have pockets of areas across the country where uh, treatment is readily available, from inpatient to residential to outpatient treatment, um, what people technically refer to as suboxone clinics or medication-assisted treatment programs. Um, but then there are plenty of other areas in the country. As you get further from the larger cities, the access to care um, is very, very poor. I've visited docs around the country that, that have told me that they have patients that drive 300 miles to and from their office uh, just because there's no other providers in the area that are offering the care. So we do have a long way to go, I think, as a, as a field of medicine um, in making sure that the services are available to everybody um, and, most importantly, that people know how to access them. And then going off of something that you, that you mentioned uh, related to medication-assisted treatment, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that particular approach given you know, that you are a pharmacist and someone who is in recovery? Medication-assisted treatment is one of the most controversial topics, not just in addiction medicine, but across the whole healthcare field. You know, from a data standpoint, it's very difficult to argue against the effectiveness of medication-assisted treatment. And, you know, when we use that term, we're really including three different medications, buprenorphine, methadone, and naltrexone. And these agents have all been shown to keep people engaged in treatment longer. They reduce criminality. They reduce the transmission of blood-borne illness. And recently, we now have some data that suggests strongly that they reduce mortality. So... From a clinical standpoint, these agents are extremely effective. The challenge that I see is the appropriate use of these medications. We still uh, have a lot of folks uh, out there prescribing this that are not uh, fully educated on the appropriate use of them. They let patients sometimes dictate the treatment in terms of how much medication and which specific product they're going to have. So there is a lot of, uh, again, controversy around this, and there are a lot of, unfortunately, folks out there that are, that are abusing the privilege to, to prescribe this. Um, as pharmacists, you know, we see a lot of, of signs of diversion, which is a primary concern. It's, it's estimated that uh, probably 25% of buprenorphine that's diverted, that's prescribed is diverted to the streets. And instantly we think, you know, that's a very negative thing. And uh, from a law standpoint, it is. But a lot of that is driven by access to treatment. And in some cases, in places where they're charging high cash premiums per visit, this also perpetuates diversion and selling of the medication. So especially as pharmacists, we're, we're seeing a lot of patients come in to pick up these prescriptions. We work with a lot of clinics that are prescribing these different medications. And unfortunately, we're also seeing some of the negative side of it, the diversion piece, which really contributes also to the a lot of negativity that's displayed by the law enforcement community. You know, talking to police officers, to judges, to DEA agents, they tend to see the, the negative side of it. They see individuals coming before them being charged with illegal possession of buprenorphine or suboxone or selling it. And uh, they don't have the opportunity sometimes to see the positive results longer term. And the reason I bring that up is because as pharmacists, I think we're also guilty of that. We are, as a profession, for some reason, it has always been a part of our training, it seems, especially in the community world, to be judgmental, um, to be automatically cautious of folks that are getting controlled substance prescriptions. 
And um, although we have many pharmacists out there um, helping the community and contributing, especially in the areas of, of Narcan training and dispensing, we have a lot of negativity um, and a lot of poor interactions, I think, that could potentially um, act as barriers to longer-term recovery. And again, as a profession, I think that's something we need to work on. And I would say it's, it's probably fair to say that, you know, certainly any expanded role for pharmacists uh, when it comes to uh, addressing substance use disorders would include this change in mindset and this change in, in being judgmental. Would you agree? Without question, it has to. And again, when I hear stories of pharmacists having you know, negative interactions with patients, and I usually hear it from the, the clinic I'm visiting or working with, I'll go over and, and have a talk with the pharmacist, and it's not something confrontational. And I usually dig in to find out what the reasons are for it. And many times it's lack of education. The education that's provided in the curriculum around substance abuse is really no different than it was when I graduated pharmacy school in 2000. Um, I had a half-hour lecture on substance use disorders, and it included a discussion on methadone and antabuse. And, and from my understanding, it's not very different today. Um, with the exception of a lot of schools are offering electives um, around this, which I think are great. But until this becomes a mandatory part of the curriculum, uh, we are going to face this educational challenge. Another aspect of it sometimes is reflection. Um, due to the huge prevalence of this disease state, it's very difficult to meet somebody that hasn't had some sort of experience with this, either firsthand or with a first-degree relative, a friend, or somebody in the family. And many times we reflect that negativity of those experiences back when we're dealing with addicts. So, example, sometimes I met a pharmacist once, and I, it was very negative interactions. We discussed it, and it came to the point where he disclosed to me that he grew up in a, in a home where both of his parents were addicts. Um, it's very understandable to um, see why that attitude can be carried over. But, again, we have to step back and remind ourselves as pharmacists, what are we tasked to do? What did we take an oath to do? And it's to help those that are sick, and these individuals definitely are sick. And so, you know, thinking about, about this, um, this disease, um, do you feel that there was anything that anyone uh, could have done uh, in your situation to help you uh, sooner? Or put a different way, are there ways that we can empower healthcare professionals to self-identify and get to recovery sooner? Yeah, this is a question I, I get quite often. And I, I think from the first part, could somebody have intervened? Was there something that could have been done? You know, as I mentioned, it was a 15-year history. There were many individuals that had knowledge or had some sort of question about whether or not I was abusing drugs. And most of those individuals actually tended to kind of shy away from addressing it. And the reason I bring this up is because this, again, is a very common thread in addiction. Uh, people get a sense that something is going on, that something is wrong, uh, but they don't want to dig into it for fear of conflict or fear of, of having to deal with it. Um, and that's very understandable. So there were cases where I, I confided in, in my uh, management at work. And, you know, the response was, don't ever mention that again. You know, as a pharmacist, you don't want to be labeled as an addict, and God forbid, you'll never get a job again. We still have a lot of that within the profession. And some of it is perpetuated by boards of pharmacy. When folks are 
found to have substance use disorders, and, and unfortunately diversion tends to come with that. The rehabilitation, and I use that word lightly, tends to be very punitive in many cases. I have seen a drastic change in the attitudes of boards of pharmacy since the time that I've been involved. Many board members now attend the APHA Institute in Utah every um, June, um, and that group has grown, and I'm very encouraged to see that. But we have to take away the punitive aspect and encourage people to get help when they need it. As a healthcare professional, what do you do when you're encountering or you have a question that maybe one of your colleagues is suffering from this, um, you know, or even a patient? You know, it's a very difficult conversation to have. Confronting these individuals is not the way because that leads to negative outcomes as been shown time and time again. But the nature of the disease and the nature of the individual many times is one of what we call hard-headedness. The disease really tricks you into thinking that you have this under control. If somebody accuses you of not having control, then it's a very insulting, negative comment, um, and you tend to become very defensive. So what I've seen that is effective is just demonstrating empathy, demonstrating concern, and hoping or praying that this individual eventually takes advantage of your offer to get them help and gets on the road to recovery. Um, you really can't change your trajectory of people by being punitive, being negative, or accusatory. That just becomes very counterproductive. So it's a huge challenge, but the first step is, is without question showing empathy and concern and educating yourself on how to get help if you're going to, to offer that role. And so at the top of our discussion, you uh, described some of the negative uh, aspects of what you experienced as an individual and as a pharmacist. I'm wondering if you could close out our segment by describing how your career has changed for the positive. I think our listeners can get a sense for how you are uh, working towards helping others, but if you could give us a little more in terms of the positivity that you are deriving from your, your current place, that would be terrific. Sure. Again, I never expected to be working in this field. Um, I have worked in primary care, managed care, oncology, academia, community pharmacy, and I have a love for, for many of those things. And, and the disease state of addiction is the last one that I thought I'd find myself working in. What got me to commit to this was partially my own recovery. And as part of the 12-step the programs, um, one of the things is carrying the message and helping others. It's our responsibility to share with others how we've achieved this gift, as we like to call it, and, and hope to give them guidance to do so. And a lot of that involves positivity, um, looking at things a different way. And that's helped me to manage my own personal situations and, and not find myself in the throes of, of drug or alcohol addiction. From a professional standpoint, I never envisioned getting so much professional reward and satisfaction from working in this field. When I entered it, I figured there would be, you know, large groups or large societies of, of pharmacists working in addiction medicine, you know, like we do in cardiology and diabetes and, and other disease states and, you know, psychiatry, and that just wasn't the case. We had a few, really a handful of folks um, that were more on the psychiatry side that were identifying as, as clinical experts within the field. So I felt like I was literally a pebble in the ocean here from a, a professional standpoint as a pharmacist.
but I also found out very quickly how valuable my knowledge was to not just individuals that are struggling with this, but clinicians who are dealing with it. Again, we're all familiar with how prevalent this disease state is. And regardless of what setting we work in, we're going to encounter it. And acting as a resource, again, to those individuals, to those patients, family members that are struggling with it, but also as a resource to the clinicians that we work with and that we, the community that we serve. People were actually very surprised as a pharmacist that, that I wanted to get involved in this because traditionally there aren't a lot of folks in our profession that had, had really jumped into this. And, and I thank God that that's changed dramatically over the past seven years with all the work that's been done, not just in substance use disorders, but again around naloxone and Narcan. And we've really taken the lead as a profession on that. Um, and again, this is a community service that uh, improves outcomes, stops people from dying, um, which again is, is really why we got in this. So I encourage more folks to join me working in this field, contributing to it. There are many ways that you can make a huge contribution regardless of the setting that you're in. You know, within the community, people are starving for information related to this. Educate yourself. Leave some pamphlets on your counter. Leave a list of, of meetings. You can go on the 12-step websites and basically put in a, a, an address or a zip code and, and put in a radius, and you can print out all the meetings in the area. Leave those things on the counter. You know, you, know, you may not want to offer them directly to patients because, again, that can be confrontational, but I can promise some people will take some of that information. You know, put up a sign. If you have questions about drug abuse, ask your pharmacist. You know, we have questions, you know, ask about getting your vaccines. Why shouldn't we ask about drug abuse? Parents struggle with this dramatically, as you can imagine. Most folks that end up in treatment, like myself, started uh, well before the age of 18. It's usually around 12 or 13. So, you know, there are things that parents can look for. There are medications that a child may be receiving or being prescribed that they could be handing out to other individuals. And again, Parents don't think of these things. And again, we could be a resource, and, and that's just one of, of hundreds of different examples that I could, could think of. Well, I want to thank you for your call to action for our colleagues and to, to thank you for your leadership in this area. As you said, you know, I, I don't think that you would have chosen to go down this path, but now that you have, I think it's tremendous that you are offering yourself in service and certainly inspiring others to uh, take up the, the call because it is needed in our society. And I think that you've given a lot for our listeners to consider. So I thank you for your time and wish you well. I thank you very much. And I want to also thank APHA that for all that they're doing. They've really taken the lead on this from a, a professional standpoint. And, and again, I've seen you know, some dramatic involvement well, well beyond um, just the institute that's hosted every June. So I encourage APHA to continue to do so, and, and always I'm available to help in any way I can. So thank you very much for the opportunity. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Pharmacists Association, the largest professional association of pharmacists in the United States.